Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining Jewish Stories and More. Today is a very unusual day. It's Erev Tishabav in the afternoon. And therefore, we have certain laws, certain halachas that apply, that don't apply on almost any other day of the year. One of them is that we're not permitted to learn the regular parts of Taita. We're not allowed today to just open up a Chumash and learn a Rashi, Mishnah, Gemara, um, uh, Shulchan Aruch, and so forth, unless it's those parts which relate to the Chorban, which relate to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore today, we're going to have a story which is taken right out of the Gemara, the Gemara Gittin, and it is from Daf Nunhei, Nunvav, that is 55 and 56, and it's the story of Tishabav. So obviously we are permitted to tell this story, and even though it's a very sad story, but the lesson and the lessons, of which there are many, are very, very important lessons, especially on Tishabav. Because the point of what we are trying to do on Tishabav is, of course, to mourn for the Chorban, but also to try to do everything we can to bring about the Geula. And then we won't have to mourn on Tishabav. In fact, the Nechama of Tishabav is that the base of Mikdash should be built. So therefore, it's important to learn the story of Tishabav, to learn the those parts of the Taita that speak about the Chorban, to say the Kinnus, to say Eicha, the, the, the book of, um, of, uh, Suvim, which tells the story of the tragedies of Jewish history. But remember always that the tragedies and the Chorban and everything negative is actually only negative on the surface. Really, as we've explained other times, anything that happens to the Jewish people, which is negative, is really happening because of Hashem's love for us. Only that it's not revealed love. It's love which is unclothed in severity. Just like a parent sometimes has to be very severe with their child in order to discipline the child or whatever. But that's really... If it's a proper parent, a proper relationship, then that severity which the parent is applying to the child, whether it's a punishment or whatever, is really an expression of the parent's love. And when the child grows up, is more mature, and will look back or hear about this or that incident, they will certainly thank the parent for teaching them what they had to learn, even though it was through severity that they had to learn it. Okay, so now let's go to the story. The Gemara begins, Because of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, Yerushalayim was destroyed. The city of Yerushalayim of Jerusalem was destroyed because of the following story involving primarily two people, Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Now, Bar Kamsa uh, means literally the son son of Kamsa. I think in this case, though, they were not necessarily father and son even though they seemingly have a connection, but I'm not aware that they are father and son. Two people, one is called Kamsa and one's called Bar Kamsa. It happened like this. There was a certain man who had a friend 
named Kamsa. And he had an enemy called Bar Kamsa. So one time he made a party and he said to his servant, go and bring my friend Kamsa. By accident, the servant went and brought Bar Kamsa. Wrong person, right? Kamsa is the friend of the person who's making the party. Bar Kamsa is his enemy. So when the man who gave the party found Bar Kamsa there, he said, hey, you are my enemy. What are you doing here at my party? Get out. So Bar Kamsa said, since I'm already here, please let me stay. And I will pay you for whatever I eat and drink. Because it's very embarrassing to be thrown out of a party. He didn't want to be embarrassed. But the host said, absolutely not. I will not let you stay here. Okay? Then let me please give you half the cost of the party. Not only will I pay for what I'm eating and drinking, I will pay for half of the cost of the party. And I think, by the way, that it was a very expensive party. As we'll see later, many, many important people were there. And it was probably a tremendous amount of money. And yet, Barcomsa said, I will pay for half of the party. Just do not embarrass me by saying, throwing me out. But again, the host refused. Okay? Said Barcomsa, then please, let me pay for the entire party. Can you imagine? He's willing to pay for an entire, obviously very wealthy party, very expensive party. Nope, the host refused. He took him by the hand and threw him out. Now, of course, that was very, very embarrassing, and I'm adding some of my own explanation here to the Gemara's words. That was obviously very, very embarrassing to Barkamsa in front of a huge party with all kinds of important people. He was literally thrown out, even though he offered to pay for the entire party. He realized he was invited by accident. He said, I'll pay for the entire party. Nope. This host was, it was more important to him that he should not have his enemy there at his party. So Barkamsa said, after he was thrown out, I saw the rabbis were there, the Chachamim, many of the Chachamim were there. They were sitting there, they watched what happened. They did not stop the host from throwing me out, from embarrassing me. So this shows they must have agreed with him, that they also think it's right to throw somebody out of the party like that when they were invited by accident, right? Remember, he was invited, so why should he come to his enemy's party, by the way? Because he thought, maybe my enemy wants to be my friend. So I'll go to the party. Maybe he wants to be friends now, instead of instead of that we should be enemies. That's why he went. But then the host said, threw him out. So Barkamsa said, obviously all those Chochamim were there, they must have agreed with his way of doing it. Okay, so they also wanted to be a, be part of embarrassing me. In that case, I'm so angry, I will go and inform against them to the government. I will tell the government, at that time Rome was ruling over Eretz Yisrael, and he said, I'm going to go and say bad things about them to the government. So the government will take revenge. Indeed, he went all the way to Rome, and he said to the emperor, the Yidin are rebelling against you. The Jews are rebelling against you. The emperor said, how do I know that's true? Barkamsa said, send them an offering for their Beis HaMikdash and see if they will offer it on the altar. 
if on the mizbeach, if they alter it, then okay, that means that they're not rebelling. But if they don't offer it on the mizbeach, that's proof that they are rebelling against you. So the emperor sent a very fine calf, very beautiful, perfect animal. But Barkamsa, while he was on the way back to Eretz made a little cut on the upper lip of the calf, or some say on the white of the eye of the calf. And such a blemish, such a cut, is something which the non-Jews do not consider a a blemish. They don't consider that to be anything wrong, and they would offer that on a mizbeach, but Yidin do consider it a blemish, and therefore such an animal may not be offered on the mizbeach of the Beis HaMikdash. So Barkamsis very sneakily put the little cut in there, which he knew the Chachamim would notice, but that he also knew that the emperor would never find out about it. It was such a tiny, small cut. So Barkamsa came with the calf. He said, this is from the emperor. I'm adding a little bit of explanation myself. This is from the emperor. He wants you to bring this as a carbon for him. So the rabbis looked at the carbon. They noticed that it had a tiny blemish. They were thinking, okay, for the sake of Shalom, we should offer it because otherwise he's going to probably, the emperor's going to probably consider us to be rebelling and he's going to come and destroy our base of Mikdash and destroy us. However, there was one Chacham named Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas. He said to the other Chachamim, no, you can't bring this on the, on the Mizbeach because people will say that an animal with a mum, with a blemish, can be all offered on the Mizbeach and will mislead everybody. You'll make it look as if anybody can bring a carbon that has a mum, has a blemish. Okay, so the Chama said, fine. In that case, let's kill Barkamsa so he won't go back to Rome and tell the emperor that we're rebelling. So that would have also solved the problem. If they would have killed Barkamsa, then that would have prevented him from going back and telling the Roman emperor that they were rebelling. Whether that's right or not, but Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkula said, wait a minute, if we do that, then it makes it look like a person who brings a carbon with a moom, with a blemish, has to be put to death. We can't mislead the people with that, that somebody that brings a carbon with a boom is put to death. So on this story, Rabbi Yochanan said, because of the carefulness of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas, that's why our base of Mikdash was destroyed. It was burnt, and we ourselves were sent out of our land into Gullus. In other words, sometimes it's important to know when to be not so strict. That according to Rabbi Yochanan, the Chachamim should not have listened to Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas because this now that was not the time to be so strict. That it would have been better to have some people thinking that you could bring a carbon on the Mizbeach that has a moom 
or even some people thinking that if you bring a carbon with a moon, that you're high of Misa, but that all would have been better than that, then that the Romans should have destroyed the base of Mikdash. Seemingly, that's the way we should have looked at that situation. In any case, they didn't do either one, and Barkamsa went back to Rome, seemingly, and he reported that they refused to bring the Yerkarban emperor on the Mizbeach. That's proof that they're rebelling against you. Okay, so the emperor said, fine. And he sent someone named, named Nero, known as Nero the Caesar, to go up against the Jews. He was a big uh, general. And as he was coming towards Yerushalayim, he shot an arrow towards the east, which is opposite of the direction of Yushalayim. But the arrow miraculously reversed course and fell in Yerushalayim. Then he shot another arrow towards the west, towards Yerushalayim. And it fell in Yerushalayim. Then he shot other arrows towards the other directions. And each time... Every single arrow they shot, no matter what direction he shot it in, even if it was exact opposite of Yerushalayim, miraculously fell in Yerushalayim. So I thought, seemingly Hashem wants me to destroy Yerushalayim. So he said to a certain young boy who he happened to come across, Repeat to me the Pasuk that you learned today in Cheder. And this is a way that we have a tradition that we can understand something that Hashem has in mind for us. In fact, there's a very famous story of Mordechai, the story of Purim, where he used this exact method and many, many other stories of understanding Hashem's intention in a certain situation by asking a young child randomly, what pasukim, what pasuk did you learn today? And we Listen to the Pasik and from that we understand perhaps an insight into what Hashem wants from us. In any case, the Pasik this child learned was, I will lay my revenge on Edom by the hand of my people Yisrael. In other words, the Pasik's from Yechezkel, chapter 25, Pasik 14, and what it's saying is that Hashem will take revenge against Edom, which is Rome, through the Yidden. So Nero said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So in other words, Hashem wants that his base of Mikdash should be destroyed, because that's where all the arrows went. And then he's going to blame it on somebody from Rome. That's me. Whoa, I'm out of here. So he ran away, and he became a Yid. He was in the skyer. He became a Yid. He recognized so much the great power of Hashem that he left his Avodazara, he left his position as general, and he became a Yid. As a matter of fact, who was descended from him? The famous Rabbi Meir. Great, great, great Tamar Chochem and Sadik, 
Rabbi Meir. He was one of the people descended from this non-Jew. Okay, back to the story. So, Nero did not fulfill the emperor's shlichus, the emperor's assignment. So the emperor now wants somebody else to do it, to go and destroy Yerushalayim and the base of Mikdash. So he sent someone named Vespasian, who was also the position of a Caesar, which means basically a great big general, very important general. And he came and he set up a, a siege. That means he surrounded the city of Yerushalayim so that no one could come in or go out. They couldn't get food. Water, I think they could get from underground, but uh, they couldn't get supplies for three years. Now, how could they survive for three years? So the Gemara goes on to say, in Yerushalayim, there were three men of tremendous wealth. One was Nakdimon Ben-Gurion. One was Ben-Kalba Savua. And one was Ben-Sitzis Akashis. Akasis. Now, Nakdimon was famous because of the story in which the sun miraculously shone for him, which is a whole other story, which we really can't tell at Tisha but it is an amazing, miraculous story. And Nakdimon had tremendous faith in Hashem, but that's another story, not for Tisha era of Tisha Ben Kalbasavua was actually, if I'm not mistaken, the father-in-law of Rabbi Akiva. All right, Rabbi Akiva married Rachel, the great Sadekis, and her father was Ben Kalba Savua. He was so wealthy that he got this name Kalba Savua because Kalba means a dog. Savua means satisfied. And people who came to his house as hungry as a dog would go out very satisfied. He was so wealthy at many, many orchim. Very, very generous. He was also very, very rich. And the third very rich person was Ben Sitsikasis. He was called this because his Sitsis used to trail low on the cushions. Cushion is the Kasis, meaning they wore very beautiful, large Sitsis to remind themselves of all the mitzvahs. Other people say his name was this because his seat, his kisei, was among the nobles, the important people of Rome. He was highly respected even among the goyim, the non-Jews, the Romans. Okay, so these were three very, very, very wealthy people in Yerushalayim. So here they are about to have, or maybe they're already in the middle of a siege where the Romans are surrounding the city and they can't go out, they can't bring things in. And so one of them said, I will keep the entire city of Yushalayim supplied with wheat and barley. Very important food, wheat and barley. They make bread from it, make cereal from it. A second one said, I will keep the yin supplied with wine, oil and salt. Wine, a very important thing to drink. And oil and salt, very important to cook with. And the third one said, I will keep them supplied with wood. Now, which one was most generous? Our tell us that the offer of wood was most generous because it takes so much wood 
to prepare things made out of barley and wheat. Abchista used to give all the keys to his um, to his various rooms to his servant, but not the key for the room where he kept the wood. Because Rabbi Chisla used to say, a storehouse of wheat, one storehouse of wheat, requires 60 storehouses of wood. That is, it takes a lot of wood to make enough fire to bake bread. So therefore, it's very nice if you have lots of wheat and barley. But to cook it, you need a lot of wood. So therefore, from these three men, they had plenty of wheat and barley, basic food, plenty of wine, oil, and salt, making the food even delicious, and having good wine with it, and plenty of wood to cook it. So what happened next? Well, the offer of these three wealthy men would have kept everyone in Yerushalayim well-fed for 21 years. And hopefully that by then the Romans would have gone away, or they would have been able to defeat the Romans. But there were Beryonim who lived there in the city. These were people that were like very, very wild. They didn't listen to any reasoning. They just wanted to fight against the Romans without consulting the Chachamim. And they were kind of like in charge of the city. So the rabbis, the Chacham said to the Beryonim, let us go out and make peace with the Romans. This way, we won't all be destroyed. But no, the Beryonim would not let them. They said, no, we have to go out and fight them. The Chacham said, no, you know, you're not going to succeed against the Romans. So the Beryonim got very upset, and they burnt all of the storehouses of wheat and barley. So now, there was no food. Can't live on wine and oil and salt. These are not foods that can sustain us. So now, the people had to fight the Romans because they had no food left. And sure enough, there's a terrible famine. Now, one of the richest women in entire Yerushalayim was Marsa who was a daughter of Boisus. And she sent out her servant and said, go and bring me some fine flour. But by the time he went out, the fine flour was gone. So he came back and said, there's no fine flour, but you can still buy regular flour. She sees, so she said, okay, go and buy me some regular flour. But by the time he got out there, there was no regular flour either. No white regular flour. Just dark flour. She said, okay, go buy dark flour. But by the time he came out there, it was sold out again. He came back and said, there's no dark flour either, but there's barley flour. She said, fine, go out and buy me some barley flour. By the time he went out, there was also no barley flour. So she had taken off her shoes. But she said, I'm going to go out and see if I can find something to eat. I'm very desperate. Usually she wouldn't walk around without her shoes, but she was desperate to find something to eat. And unfortunately, she stepped into some schmutz, and she died. But we'll see, she didn't die right away, but she was so disgusted by it, and she was probably also so hungry that she died. 
Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai said about her, the Pasuk says, the tender and delicate woman among you who would not even go out in her bare feet upon the ground. So we see this is what happened to her. Some say that she ate a fig left by Rabbi Tzadok and she became sick and died from that. Why? Because Rabbi Tzadok had fasted for 40 years. So Yerushalayim shouldn't be destroyed. And it became so thin that when he ate something, the food could be seen as it passed through his very, very skinny throat. He was fasting because part of his davening. He was davening to Hashem and fasting to emphasize his request that Hashem should save Yerushalayim for 40 years. But what he used to do was when they would try to restore him to good health, they would bring him a fig, and he would just suck out the juice and throw it away. So she saw such a, such a fig, and, and and when she tried to um, when she tried to eat it, uh, she became very sick and died. It was so disgusting that somebody else had already sucked out all the juice. And she was such a tender type of person. So when she was about to die, she brought out all of her gold and silver and threw it in the street. She said, what's the purpose of all this gold and silver? I can't buy food. And this is what the Pasuk says, that they will throw their silver in the streets. Pasuk from Yechezkel. Now, Abasikra, who was in charge of the Beryonim, these rebellious young men, he was actually the son of the sister of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sent a message to him saying, come to visit me privately. So when Abba Sikra came to him, Rabbi Yochanan said, how long are you going to carry on in this way of wildness? And you're going to end up killing all the people with starvation. So Abba Sikra said, what can I do? If I object, the other Bryonim will kill me. I'm, I'm really the leader, but I really actually can't force any decision on them. They are so wild that they will kill me if I don't go along with them. Rabbi Yochanan said, fine, so come up with a plan so that I can escape the city. Maybe I'll be able to save something. Abbasikra said to him, okay, pretend that you're sick and let everyone come to ask how you're doing. Then bring something that smells really yucky and put it close to you in the coffin. And this way people will say you're dead. Then let your Talmidim carry you, but nobody else should carry you so that they won't notice that you're actually very light. And we know that when a person's alive, they're lighter than when they're dead. That's why we have the expression of dead weight. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai followed all the instructions, and Rabbi Eliezer carried his coffin, not exactly a coffin, but basically like a coffin, from one side, Rabbi Yeshua from the other side. When they reached the gate, some of the men from the Beryonim said, we want to put a spear through this coffin because maybe you're just 
trying to fake us out. Maybe you're trying to fool us. And maybe he's not really alive. So one of the Chachamim said, one of the Tamid Chachamim said, do you want the Romans to say that the Yidin have pierced their Rebbe with a sword? So the Beryonim said, okay, so let us push it around to make sure that it's really a dead person. So they said, do you want the Romans to say that they have so much disrespect for the Rebbe that they pushed his body around? Okay, fine. So the Beryonim opened the gate. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was able to get out. When he reached the Roman camp, he he said to Vespasian, who was the general, who was sent to destroy Yerushalayim. He said, Shalom Alecha, Melech. Shalom Alecha, Shalom Alecha, Melech. Peace to you, king. He called him a king. He wasn't a king, he was just a general. So Vespasian said to him, oh, you are Chayev Misa for two things. You are de- deserving of death. But two things. Number one, I'm not a king. You're not allowed to call me a king. And you said it twice to me. And number two, if I really am a king, so why didn't you come to me before? Then you're rebelling against the king by not coming to me before this. So Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai answered both things. He said, as far as you're saying you're not a king, actually you are a king. Because if you were not a king, Yerushalayim would not be conquered by you. Because there's a Pasuk that says, there's a Pasuk in Yeshaya, that Levonon, which is a nickname for the base of Mikdash, shall fall, uh, uh, shall fall to a very mighty one. So that proves that you're a very mighty one, meaning you're a king. And as for your question, why, if you are a king, I didn't come to you till now, it's because the Bryonim among us, the wild rebels among us, didn't let me. So Vespasian said to Rabbi Yochanan, Ben Zakkai, oh, so if there's a jar of honey and there's a serpent, a dangerous snake wound all around it, wouldn't you break the jar to get rid of the honey? which meant that Yerushalayim is like a jar of honey. And these bird yonim are like the snake wrapped around it. So to protect Yerushalayim, shouldn't you kill the bird yonim? But Yochanan could not give an answer. But the bird yonim were, were running the city. They were in charge. They were very mighty. But it, that's just my comment. But he didn't give an answer. So this is really a shame that a Tamar Chacham and a Tzadik like this could not give an answer to a non-Jew. And Rabbi Yosef, or some say Rabbi Kiva, said to him that the Pasuk in Yeshayahu says, Hashem turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolish. In other words, when Hashem is not pleased with the Yidden, he may even take a person who's very wise and make him not be able to act wise. What he should have said to him was, if you have that situation with a dangerous snake wrapped around a jar of honey, take a pair of tongs, grip the snake with it, and kill the snake. In other words, 
Rabbi Yochan Mezakai should have said to the Roman emperor, to the Roman king, now he's a king, you should attack just the Bryonim and get rid of them so that the rest of the Jewish people can live. But anyway, they didn't answer that. At this point, a messenger suddenly arrived from Rome and said to Vespasian, Arise, because the emperor is dead, and the important people in Rome have decided to make you the Melech. So sure enough, Vespasian sees that Rabbi Yochum was right. He is the king, because the Pazik does say it, that Yerushalayim will only fall to a mighty one. Now at that point, Vespasian had put on one boot and was trying to put on the other boot, but he couldn't do it. Then he tried to take off the boot that was already on. He couldn't take it off. So he said to Rabbi Yochanan, what's the meaning of this? Rabbi Yochanan said, don't worry. The good news is what made this happen. Because there's a Pasuk in Mishlei, which says, good news fattens the bone. So, therefore, when you felt very good about becoming Melech, your bones became fatter, and that's why the boot that already had, that, that was already on you, you couldn't take off. And the boot that was not on you yet was too small to, to get on, because your bones became much, much, much fatter. So what should I do? He said. So Rabbi Yochanan said, let someone who you dislike Come and go be, come and walk in front of you, because the passage says, a broken spirit dries up the bones from the same section in the passage. So, somebody passed in front of him who he didn't like, and his bones shrank back to normal, and the boot went on. So, Vespasian said to Rabbi Yochanan, since you are so wise, why didn't you come to me till now? Rabbi Yochanan said, I have told you already, because the Beryonim. So the emperor said, Melech said, he was a general, now he's a Melech. He said, well, I already told you also that you should have killed the Beryonim. Okay? So Vespasian said, I'm now going to Rome to take over as Melech. I'm going to send somebody to take my place. But you can make a request of me and I will give it to you. Whatever you want. Rabbi Yochanan said, Give me Yavne v'chachameha. That is, don't destroy the city of Yavne and its chachamim. And this way, he hoped that he would be able to save Yiddishkeit. That even though the Romans would destroy the Beis HaMikdash and destroy Yerushalayim and much more, but if they wouldn't destroy Yavne and all of its chachamim, then he felt that Yiddishkeit would be saved. Because, as Rabbi Yochanan said, give me Yavne v'chachameha, plus the family chain of Rabbi Gamliel, they were the the Nasiyim, from that family came all the Nasiyim, Hillel and Rabbi Gamliel, and Shimon and Gamliel, and the others, and also physicians, doctors, to heal Rabbi Tzadok. Now, Rabbi Yosef, or some say Rabbi Kiva, 
said about this, Hashem turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolish. We said before from Yeshayahu that that was not a smart thing of him to ask for. Why not? He should have said, let the yin free this time. That is, even though it seems that they rebelled against you, but but let them go. And perhaps he would have saved all the yin and the base of Mikdash. But Rabbi Yochanan thought that the, the mouth would not give him that much. And therefore, he would be left with nothing. So instead he asked for something which he thought the Melech would, would give, which is Yavne, Chachameha, and the Nasi, and so forth. And sure enough, it's very true that Yiddishkeit was really saved through them. That they were able to set up Yiddishkeit in such a way that it has lasted throughout the last 2,000 years of Gullus. So this is the end of the story. So from this story we see that what was the major thing that destroyed the base of Mikdash and Yerushalayim in the times of the Roman conquest was sinas chinam, hatred for no reason. The host of the party hated Bar Kamsa so much, would not let him stay at the party insisted on embarrassing him by being thrown out. And then the hatred of Bar Kamsa for the Chachamim was so much that he insisted on carrying out a plan to get revenge on them through Rome. So we see how hatred leads to more hatred, leads to more hatred, leads to more hatred. And this hatred, hatred for no reason, sinas chinam, is the cause of the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. Now, how do we fix it? How do we get rid of Sinas Chinam? We replace it with Avas Chinam, with loving a Jew for no reason. Instead of saying, I love a Yid because he's so smart, or because she's such a good person, or because this person is so generous, or this person is so kind. No. We love a yid because we love a yid. We love a yid for no reason. Avas chinam. Instead of hating a yid for no reason, we replace that with loving yid for no reason. Whether they are lovable in the regular sense or not, we love every yid no matter what and no matter who. We love every yid no matter what and no matter who. Now, of course, if somebody punches you in the nose, you can certainly take them to Basin and find them and everything else. But still, their, your attitude, our attitude, my attitude towards my fellow Jew must be Ava and no matter what, love, even if there's no reason to love this Yid. Even if the Yid has no qualities that are lovable, except he was made by the Abishter. Still, we have to have love for every single yid. Even if they don't do tshuva. Of course, we try to be makar of them, we try to bring them close to Taita. But even if they don't respond, we have to love them. And again, if they do something wrong to us, we can take them to base in. Sure, of course, if that's necessary. 
At the same time, we should not hate them. We should still love them because all Yidin are part of one existence, like one person. Therefore, we have to love every single Yid. And this is one of the stories that the Gemara tells about the destruction. And may the telling of this story be this chus that will transform these days into days of joy. Because the Torah tells us that when Geula comes, all of the fast days that are fa- that are uh, instituted because of the destruction of the base of Mikdash will be transformed to the days of Yom Tov. Because really, all of the severity in history that Hashem has shown to us really is an act of love. It's all acts of love. It's just that we can't feel the love. But when the Geula comes, we will feel only the love from these days. And therefore, they will not just be regular days, they will be Yom Tevim. May these days be transformed into Yom Tevim immediately, Mashiach come immediately, and may we have, even before Tisha B'Av comes, that it should be transformed into a Yom Tev, and then we won't have to fast. On the contrary, we will celebrate the great Yom Tev with Mashiach and Gula in the base of Victor. Thank you so much for joining Jewish Stories and more.